Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shani, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Six Hats podcast. And today I'm joined by Dr. Melanie Bose, an integrative GP based in Queensland who also has passion for teaching medical students and has recently launched a company, Phoenix Docs. And this is a business to support doctors and medical students in the field of nutritional and lifestyle medicine by running workshops. And she's currently run about two to three workshops all over Australia. So, Brisbane, Sydney's coming up and Melbourne as well in the next couple of weeks. So really excited to have Melanie here today. Welcome, Melanie. Thank you, Shami. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Awesome. So Melanie and I were chatting before the podcast and we were talking about how as GPs, we're actually not taught a lot about lifestyle or nutritional medicine. And if at all, you know, there's no emphasis on it. And it's almost, you know, it's just really focused on pharmaceutical drugs as a solution. And often it's a personal journey that led us into discovering the benefits of nutrition and lifestyle. So Marlene, I'd love for you to share with our audience what led you to actually learn more about nutrition and lifestyle. And more importantly, what led you to be so passionate about teaching your colleagues Yeah, so I guess you'd have to go back to when I actually started becoming stressed out throughout becoming a doctor. So pretty much second year out of medical school in the hospital system is probably on retrospect when I started to burn out. And even then at that time, you know, it's a shift work, long hours, social isolation, living away from family and friends, like I was dreading going to work. And Basically, across the last eight years of being a doctor, I was kind of having crisis management. And so just taking you know, a couple of weeks off here and there just to you know assume that that would fix everything, but it didn't. And then I moved away and entered general practice and thought, that's what it is. That's what I want to do. And I felt like, I suppose my values were lining up a little bit with the work compared to hospital medicine, which is a really big factor in burnout. But even that wasn't enough. And so it was just a lot of change happening in the last few years and, you know, not working, basically working too much and studying at the same time and teaching medical students. And it just kind of culminating into a heap. And I was mentally and physically absolutely exhausted. It's not burnout. It's not just being tired. It's much more deeper than that. And I basically had to learn from scratch how to look after myself and actually learn to say no to things and figure out what food was good to eat to help me you know get some energy throughout the day and i also had a chronic disease uh, not had have present tense but i guess it's well managed now so I, I could kind of say it's a little bit in the past tense but i have a chronic disease called pcos or polycystic ovarian syndrome and i was diagnosed when i was 19 years old in medical school and completely forgot about it for about 10 years even though i read about the condition in a textbook and had some people tell me i might have it and then got it diagnosed by a specialist but no one talked to me about food as it being a key crucial role in managing the condition and i was just put on the contraceptive pill for about 10 years and that was kind of like a set and forget approach as to how i saw it and it was only when i started to learn about 
food and stress and sleep and how this condition PCOS plays into all that, that I was like, whoa, I've almost like lost 10 years worth of an opportunity to actually like look after myself from a nutritional perspective. Uh, honestly, it's been a very frustrating process, but I'm grateful I've learned about everything that I have now rather than another 10 years later. And I guess it's driven me to then come up with this business to actually just get the word out because, I mean, teaching at universities as a casual tutor, I've seen the curriculums. They're very restricted in teaching nutrition. Unfortunately, it's clear that the curriculums are not going to change unless the government guidelines change. So the healthy eating plate, the food pyramid is here to stay unless that changes. And so I didn't feel like I had any power within the university system to start saying anything differently and hence me having to go and do it on my own and have people come and hear me talk or not. And that's kind of how it started. That is so amazing because it really makes you think about how, you know, doctors are trained and exactly what you said, because I'm going back 20 five over years in med school and I can't even remember a topic on nutrition fair enough we talked about yes if you've got severe deficiency of all of these things yes you'll get all of these serious illnesses but we never see that in practice so we're not actually how to optimize our health just not taught how to be seriously unwell which is really interesting. And so I can't even remember a topic on nutrition, can't remember a topic on lifestyle at all. And and it's interestingly, because when I reflect over the last 23 years of being a doctor, wow, I can literally see so many doctors going through mental health issues, depression, anxiety. When I was in med school, someone gave me a stats, how about the number of med students on antidepressants? And I can't Remember, yep. it was a, a lot and it really shocked me. And when you go through the training, which is seriously hard and intense, and you mentioned some really good points, which we don't really think about because amongst your peers, you're just taught to grit, bear it, get on with yep. it. Yep. And That's not it. even talk about it because it just comes with the job. And, you know, you just expect it to be isolated, not around, you know, family and friends, really yep super long hours, you're exhausted, you're actually not eating well. And I love, no. Marlene, when I look back at internship, yeah. like, what was I eating just to get through the day? Yeah. OMG, yeah. because there would be so many biscuits and chocolates and chips and yes. high carb foods around. And yeah. the hospitals and what they would serve, I just absolutely just cringe when I think about what hospitals are serving. So the message is actually, food's not important at all. No, Not for the doctor, not for the patients. I actually remember patients like receiving jelly and chip. (laughs) Oh, that's still happening. So if you go to a public hospital, any public hospital now, I don't know too much about private hospitals, but public hospitals, you go in for like if you're sick with a pneumonia or you go in for surgery or it doesn't matter what it is, like you're not actually getting very healthy food and you're having barely any protein at all. And so it's not really conducive to healing, but how much power do we have really as an individual like doctor that has not much influence in government to allow for this to happen? Like I would rather actually not eat 
if I were to end up in a patient in a hospital as a patient or bring my own food like that's and a lot of doctors who are in this space will say the same thing like it's very frustrating absolutely it's almost um not really I wouldn't call it sort of brainwashing but the influence around us just supports the idea that food's not important food's nothing yep got nothing to do with medicine, nothing to do with nutrition, because it's just supported with the environment. It's really interesting that message hasn't really come across. And like what you said, it really takes like a personal journey to something there must be something more. And every GP that goes down nutrition and lifestyle always has a personal story. And me too, got my own personal story. And, And it's really important that we share that because it's so good that you're seeking results and seeking solutions and not just saying, yeah, this is it. I'm just stuck on the pill and got nothing else to do. And I did another podcast about PCOS and how we went Mm. on how insulin is so important. PCOS, And that means the diet is super important, you know, low carb and how that makes, and you can reverse it. You can get your insulin. You can heal all of these symptoms and, you know, what happens with estrogen and estrogen detox pathways and environments. So there's so much you can do. And it's yeah. not just about one tablet that solves everything. Everything, which it doesn't. And somehow we're taught to tell our patient that it does. Like the fact that the pill can quote unquote regulate your period, which is a phrase that I've honestly, I have said it in the past before I knew about all this, but you know, patients tell me that they've heard it from their doctors too. And, and they feel like Oh, okay. It's going to regulate my period when it when you know you're not even getting a period on the pill because it's suppressing ovulation. So it's just we're kind of making wrong assumptions and like it's yeah. <laughs> I can I I'm just like almost getting worked up like talking about it because I feel like I've been misled myself and I don't ever want to do that to another woman or any patient for that matter again because of what I lost as a result of it and what you said about low carb and, and insulin resistance. I very luckily, I came across the low carb lifestyle early on in this journey and was able to completely put my insulin resistance into remission just with that and a bit of exercise and just looking after myself a bit better. And I see it in my patients. I've done extra training and I'm now telling all my patients about it. I've re- helped patients reverse their pre-diabetes and you know, control their diabetes. I've gotten patients off insulin. I've you know, de-prescribed medications like cholesterol tablets and blood pressure tablets. And like, it's so much more rewarding than just prescribing a medication day in and day out. And patients just, you know, complaining that they're continuously feeling unwell. You just have more tools in the kit as when you start practicing this way. And there's not a lot of harm when you just start talking about you know, eating less junk food and having more whole food and having a bit more protein and a bit more healthy fat. It's really, like I said, going back to basic. And yet there's so much pushback from different parties, whether or not it's, you know, patients themselves or whether or not it's other doctors or other healthcare professionals, because there's a big food company influence, there's big pharma influence, there's government guideline influence, there's people's reputations at stake, there's so many factors at play, but why does it have to be this hard? You know, we're talking about the food that we've been eating for hundreds of thousands of years as human beings. It shouldn't be this hard to start eating that way again. And yet our environment is not set up for it. Oh my God. That's 
so, so true. It really makes you think of where is the resistance and why is there a resistance when actual fact it is actually not that hard. It's really simple to start on that journey. And it kind of makes me think of where I used to work in the, and funnily enough, it was opposite a McDonald's. <laughs> and so doctors, yep, they would go right into McDonald's for their lunch and bring it back and snack on biscuits the whole day and chocolate and had no idea how this was affecting them, had no idea. And I remember presenting because I was obviously doing more nutrition and lifestyle and I presented about, you know, reversing type two diabetes. And one doctor actually came up to me and said, Shami, that's too hard. It's too hard to do. And I go, wow, you know, realized that he was overweight and it felt hard to him. And I go, wow, so if majority of doctors are thinking like that, what is the message that we're getting across to patients that we're not, it is too hard and there's, you know, it's not important, which kind of leads me on to going back to the burnout story, but leading on even talking about stress. Many doctors are incredibly stressed, incredibly stressed. And perhaps they're actually not aware that this is the stress sign and push through eventually leading to burnout. And Melanie, you did mention that there was this Facebook group of like a thousand female GPs who are experiencing burnout, which I found was mind blowing. Yeah. And that's just the people that, you know, that are proud to admit not, well, not proud, but like they feel comfortable enough to admit that they're burnt out or burning out or stressed and, and and they feel like it's a safe space to talk about it. But that's, you know, what about all the other thousand or 2000 or 3000 other doctors that are not in that group that don't feel like they can talk to anyone about it, um, that feel trapped in their current lifestyle because there are obligations, you know, they might be, you know, mother of young kids or that, you know, there's financial obligations or their cares for their parents or whatever the situation might be. And I think, I mean, I'm very lucky in that I'm still young and I don't have a family yet in terms of young kids or anything. So, I mean, my main obligation is to myself and to my husband. I'm very lucky that my parents can look after themselves for the time being. And so I guess I have had a lot of time to invest in educating myself about nutrition and lifestyle and learning about these other ways. But I can appreciate that a lot of other doctors don't have that time or energy or money or even the mental space to realize that there is another way to practice medicine. It's so funny you mentioned that. It really is because you're literally on this treadmill and you're yes. going and going and going maybe five, six days a week to the point you actually need space to actually problem solve. Yes. And I see that a lot, actually. And I see that in my patients as well, because this, they're leading such fast paced lives that it's actually hard to find solutions. And I yeah. always, you know, my mantra is there's always a solution, yeah. but you actually need space and time to actually sit down and figure it out. You get time to figure it out. and the only time you get is probably when you've reached your, it's a turning point. It yes. could be a tipping point of pain and suffering yep. where you go, I have to stop Yeah, and it's to do something. But, you know, we really want to promote the fact that you don't have to reach that tipping point. You can yeah. take measures way before that you can actually, you know, 
aware of the signals, aware of the signs to sort of say, oh, it's time to create a few measures, time to change. And I love seeing the journey in my patients when they realize the impact of stress on their body. Yeah. And one of my patients actually said, so he's reversing his type two diabetes and he's just made the link of how stress has a massive factor on his sugar. So, and he goes, Shami, why am I doing this high powered job to live in an expensive house to create this you know, expensive lifestyle. Yeah. What am I doing? I'm doing it at the expense of my health. And it was a massive realization for him. And I go, wow, you know, this is a great time to stop and think what choices we make in life. Why do we make those choices? What's driving it? Yeah. And that having a silent impact on our health. And why do we have to wait until type two diabetes or another chronic disease for change to happen? And I always wanted to, you know, why do doctors reach burnout? What do you think is stopping them from taking action earlier? You mentioned something about not even being aware or not even having the time to actually think about it. I think it's a little bit better these days because other doctors are speaking up about their journeys and other alternatives to, I guess, making an impact. I was inspired by, there's two GPs in the UK, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee and Dr. Rupi Ajula, I think is, is how I say his last name. But they're on a podcast together and apparently they're good friends. And they were talking about making an impact and how there's different ways to do that as a doctor. And it's not just about the one-on-one patient interaction. And for them, because they're GP doctor celebrities, I guess, because they've got their own podcasts and as you do, Shami, so you're like another celebrity <laughs> in the making. But also like they've written books and, and I guess they get value in the fact that they're still making an impact, but it's in a different way rather than just being in the consulting room or just being in the emergency department. And that got me really excited because I feel like I had tunnel vision, like coming out of med school into becoming a doctor that, you know, that is this is the only way. It's just one-on-one care and that's it. And I guess the fact that I have gotten into teaching, teaching medical students, I feel like that's another amazing way for me to be able to make an impact if I'm able to influence future generations of doctors. I feel like it's even a bigger impact than just the one-on-one with the patient. So, And then, of course, you know, maybe perhaps teaching the public separately or, you know, teaching in groups rather than just one-on-one. Like, there's so many ways to do it, I think, it's more about exposing yourself like as a like healthcare professional into what's out there, which I think has really helped me like kind of carve my path, which, yeah, I guess if I, you know, thank goodness for the internet and podcasts and YouTube and books, like I wouldn't have been able to change my trajectory if it wasn't for all that, to be honest. You're absolutely right. And I'm going to say a few things that might shock people about why, you know, perhaps in other high flying professions, but literally I'm talking about doctors and how they're trained. And I actually think we've been given the wrong script right from med school, right from, you know, as soon as we graduate. And there's a couple of areas where the script is so incorrect. And I think it really contributes to burnout or that mental fatigue you get. Number one is doctor's don't know everything and they think they have to. Yeah. So this is a severe amount of anxiety of, I just don't know that. What did that specialist say? Or what did that doctor do? 
we never know everything and yeah. we, will, we will know everything because we're still discovering. Like I, I was chatting to a colleague of mine, like the way we treat heart disease is so different from 20 years ago. So things are always evolving. So we're never going to know everything, but we just need the mindset of growth and humility to say, ah, oh, what can I learn today? And that I discovered like maybe 10 years ago, and that took a huge level of anxiety away from me. So that was number one, where you'll never know everything. And number two is you are not God. You're not God. You cannot predict everything that could happen to a patient. And so a lot of doctors are suffering in that fear of, did I do everything? Have I done everything? What could possibly happen to this patient? And you suddenly sit back and go, wow, this is actually completely out of our control. There are so many variables in health. There's so many factors which are completely out of the doctor's control. All we can do is be guided by what's in front of us in terms of symptoms, signs, test results. We can't actually predict the future. And that is number two. So it puts doctors in a lot of pressure and stress to try and predict what's happening. And number three, and I think that's probably the most, it was a massive realization for me in the last couple of months, how we've created dependent patients. Mm. We've not empowered them to take control of their health. We've actually created codependency because when you look at the language of doctor, can you fix me? And the doctor takes on this role of like, oh my God, what can I do to fix you? I've got to think about everything. Oh, it's not working. Marlon, you must've heard so many times patients come in. I can't lose weight. Fix me. I want it quick. I want it easy. Just give me a quick remedy. And I want you to do it in 10 minutes, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's only until I did this health coaching course for professionals just in the last six months. And it was just phenomenal where I go, every health professional needs to be taught about health coaching, where we empower the patient or the client to take control, to take back their power and to actually look into their health and their lifestyle and say, what can I do differently? And all what we're doing is being the guide and sort of guiding them in terms of research, knowledge, experience. And that's how I kind of see my role now. It's more of, I've got the experience. I've seen so many patients. I can puzzle together where it can be completely overwhelming and actually you can go down the wrong pathway just by reading books or Googling. It's just creating a personalized plan. But I just feel we're not empowering patients. And this is where like integrative medicine needs to go, where we do empower patients to take back the power. And because when you take back the power, you will go, this is what I choose to eat. This is what I choose to do in the evening. I choose to cut back on screen time. I choose to sleep well. And I'm doing it because I want to this. Yeah, this internal drive. Yeah, absolutely. An intrinsic factor of like, you're doing it for you. You're not doing it for your doctor or for your friend or for your partner. You actually need to do it for yourself and you need to see the benefits of yourself. And only you as a patient or a client can know your motivators and know your barriers. And it's only when I started practicing using the coaching technique, I discovered the most incredible insights to patient stories when they discover that one of them didn't want to exercise to, for mental health because she was actually scared of feeling better. And the mm. reason why she was scared of feeling better, she was 50 years of anxiety 
and she was actually scared to feel what that looks like of car it was a change in her identity essentially absolutely and it was only until I learned about the coaching technique I realized that is transformative and doctors need to be taught that that's literally the icing on the cake because you can tell this patient why aren't you exercising what do you mean you haven't exercised and every time she goes I don't know I don't know I just don't want to do it and until you go why is this important for you and how confident are you in starting it you just realize you understand the barriers and the motivators and so these are the three key areas which I really think medicine has to change in order to benefit both doctors but and I think patients I've well. probably gone through all three of those things in my <laughs> journey of burnout yeah just kind of assuming that you are especially as a general practitioner very different way of practicing to hospital medicine because you have your regular patients so you have an ongoing relationship with them they feel like they or they feel loyal to you and therefore they don't tend to want to seek care from other people unless they want to or they have to and so then you feel as a general practitioner responsible for their care even when you're not at work or even weekends or even on holidays that's not the same as a doctor working in the hospital setting where you can clock on clock off there's always a team to cover and and change shift and so I feel like it's just a very different perspective and a very different type of pressure that we have in general practice which I don't think is also addressed because I was as part of my burnout I was just ruminating on my patients day in and day out and that was that drove me to the ground because I felt like I couldn't talk to any other doctors about it and all these assumptions like I feel like you know it has to be challenged so all the thoughts that we tell ourselves and I'm so glad that you know I had you Shami as a mentor and I had really good psychologists who would always challenge me and I feel like that's also crucial in the recovery of burnout to just question the narrative basically and create your own reality because you can do things differently. And it's so interesting when you don't have the time to problem solve, you just keep going, keep going. I have to see 40 patients. I have to do this. I have to do that. And we've really, really got a question that. But before we finish off, Melanie, I would love to know what kind of, if you could just pick like one or two strategies, what do you feel doctors need to know about in terms of nutrition and lifestyle as a great starting point? That's hard. (laughs) (laughs) Too many, too many. many. Okay. So from a nutritional perspective, I think everyone, so there's this generalization that most doctors, if not all doctors will agree with, but I want to go a layer deeper. So the generalization is processed food and junk food isn't any good for you. And you're better off having more whole foods, foods that, you know, come from the earth. So whether or not that's fruits and vegetables and, you know, animal proteins or whatever. And that's generally, yes, going to be better for you in terms of your health. But I'm going to go one step further and I'm going to challenge the fact that if we look at human physiology in terms of macronutrients, we absolutely need protein and we absolutely need fat. If not, we get terribly sick and eventually die. But there is no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. Our body can thrive without the intake of dietary carbohydrate. That does not mean that everyone needs to cut out carbohydrates, but it is 
a massive misconception that people tend to have that you must have carbohydrates in whatever context we're talking about, you know, whether or not it's for athletes or whether or not it's for an elderly patient or whether or not it's for a young 20-something-year-old at university. Our physiology determines that we can actually technically survive on protein and fat. And so that is something that I tell all my patients. Having said that, a lot of my patients could do with a little less carbohydrate because they're all insulin resistant and already on the spectrum of developing diabetes anyway. So that's the first kind of basic principle that I think everyone could go and read about and think about and ponder about. And I guess with regards to the rest of the lifestyle pillars, hard to pick one because, you know, there's stress and sleep and exercise and social connection and stuff. But I think the thing that's overarching is having a sense of purpose and knowing your goals and values. Because if you don't know why you're getting up in the morning and going to your job or doing whatever you do day in and day out, none of these other lifestyle factors will become of importance. So if you don't feel like getting up in the morning, getting out of bed and doing the thing that you love, what is the point in exercising? What is the point in eating the right foods? What is the point in connecting with friends? There's just no value to it. And so I think going forward, if you know we're talking to patients, but even friends and colleagues, family, like I think, and if anyone wants to help someone else with behavior change, I think that's where what we have to tap into is just that what is your why of why you do things and how is perhaps eating better or exercising more going to enhance your purpose and allow you to live your life with purpose of the thing that you want to do. Because that's what we want to do as doctors is we want to get patients better from a health perspective so that they can go and do the thing that they want to do and live their purpose. And I think we tend to forget that or maybe, you know, we just don't realize it or we just don't have time to even talk about these things when we talk to patients. So those are the two big ones, I think. But I could talk for hours about this. I think that you really profound really profound actually an amazing starting point to the point where you just stop and think and just see where you are at in terms of where you're at in life what's your stress levels like what are you eating what are you doing to great simple steps which kind of makes me want to talk about your workshop that's coming up in melbourne on june 18th and it's for med students and doctors and just to teach doctors about nutrition and lifestyle and so, Molly, can you share us what we can expect? Yeah, so it's a one-day workshop from about eight to five uh, on a weekend, and it's a small group, so up to 15 people, and it's going to be a mix. So it's a mix of, you know, med students, doctors, which is not a very common mix that you see in such a small group setting. So from the workshops that I've already hosted, that dynamic is quite unique, and it allows for a lot of discussion, a lot of stories to be shared, a lot of tips and tricks to be shared. And and basically the introduction of how to look after yourself as a healthcare professional, as a medical professional first, because of how prevalent burnout and stress is within our profession and what I've been through. Like if I could, you know, this is my way of giving back, of sharing everything that I've learned and I'm still learning in the last few years with all my training that I'm doing in integrative and nutrition and lifestyle medicine. And just giving a taste of 
some quick tools that you can start using with your patients, um, but also on yourself. So we talk about, you know, basics of nutrition, macronutrients, micronutrients, insulin resistance, and then we talk about some of the pillars. So sleep, stress management, exercise, and there's like really good quality whole food throughout the day. And then there's also a session where we do a bit of meditation and then there's movement sessions. So it's not like a boring day of lectures at all. And there's tons of discussion and like opportunities to network. And yeah, it's just the beginning of lots of different types of workshops that I want to do, more advanced ones, different topics, women's health, gut health, whatever. And so, but I feel like people just need to start with this taster of a little bit of everything just so they know that there are other ways to practice medicine. I love it. So inspiring. I'm super excited about it. So I'm going to put a challenge to our listeners. You may not be a doctor or a med student, but if you feel your GP would really benefit from a bit of self-care, definitely share this podcast with them and see if they're interested. And we'll share the links of how they book on our show notes. So really, really easy. And and it's really interesting. It kind of makes me think, which I'm sort of going to end on is, you know, patients always ask me, how are you, Shari? You know, we've got to check in with you. And I always absolutely love it. And it's a great reminder, great reminder for all, you know, professionals who just give a lot to just time to take a backseat and go, right, how am I? Like, what am I doing? Am I loving what I'm doing? And exactly what you said, am I waking up excited to be at work and excited to be on this journey? So thank you to all those patients who look after their doctors. (laughs) Absolutely. Amazing, Malini. Excited to see you at the workshop. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me, Shami. It's been an honor. Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take home message today? Remember it's all about progress and not perfection. And are you suffering from stress? Visit the Usawa Learning Hub on usawa.com.au for more resources on how to de-stress, re-energize and reclaim your health. Enjoy the journey.